each of the four Gospels, once it finishes with however much or little it has to say about Jesus' birth and childhood, origin story. As soon as that concludes, every single one of the gospel movers, gospel writers moves to John the Baptist at the River Jordan. We call him John the Baptist, but since that always sounds to me like it's his denomination, let's use a more literal translation, John the Baptizer. That better captures the intended emphasis of baptizing as John's vocation his lived-out calling. He's the one who baptizes. Now, a friend of ours loves obscure Bible translations that go with John the Immerser or John the Dunker or, best of all, John the Sprinkler. Each gospel writer presents John the Baptizer with his baptism for repentance and forgiveness of sin which gets folks wondering if he's the Messiah, but John insists, I'm just doing what I can to prepare the way of the Lord. It's not about me. The one coming after me is so infinitely beyond me that I am not worthy to touch his shoes. Every gospel writer uses some version of that as the context for introducing the adult Jesus poised on the threshold of his earthly mission. Here is how the Gospel of Matthew puts it. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved with whom I am well pleased. As literally as it will ever be, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All of the Gospels note the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and alighting on Jesus, and all the Gospels include God's blessing of Jesus, though the fourth Gospel puts the blessing into John's mouth. All in all, there is unusual consistency among the Gospels as they relate Jesus' encounter with John the baptizer as the launch of Jesus' ministry. But only the writer of the Gospel of Matthew pauses to ask, hang on, how is it that this guy, John, who by his own admission is unworthy to touch Jesus' shoes, how in the world is he worthy to baptize Jesus? And with a baptism of repentance, no less? Only this gospel imagines the intimate face-to-face -face between these two men when John protests, you? Want me to baptize you? And Jesus responds, It's okay. For right now, this is how it's supposed to be.
That's not the last time humanity will stare at Jesus and wonder why, but it's adequate reassurance for John. And so, God with us, Jesus, is baptized by John's unworthy hands, and we thus get to witness this moment of deep humility intersecting with true vocation. And that intersection is what we'll ponder for the next few minutes. Humility. It's almost a lost concept in this era of arrogance. Humility is now shunned in favor of selfies and self-serving self-importance. And Christians need to notice that and correct it in ourselves because humility is, as shown so vividly in this story, humility is an attribute of God as well as those who seek God. Now, humility is not some self-effacing, I am nothing, I'm of no use. No, that would be discounting all that God gives us. I'm talking John the Baptist humility, humility laced with the conviction of vocation. John is aware of two things simultaneously. He knows he is so not the Messiah that he's unworthy to touch the Messiah's shoes, and he knows he is called to the vocation of baptizing, which he faithfully does even when paralyzed by the presence of God. The intersection of humility and vocation is also visible in Jesus. He who is sinless begins his mighty work of taking away the sin of the world by submitting to baptism for the repentance and forgiveness of sin. Jesus disappears into the River Jordan's muddy waters and then comes up breathless in a dripping preview of his eventual burial and resurrection. To fulfill his vocation of salvation, Jesus, in perfect humility, takes on human flesh and human baptism. Humility and vocation are our theme this morning as we ordain and install a new class of officers. That very word, officers, may seem counter to humility. Officers are superiors whom we're supposed to salute, right? But when we thank our officers for their work, when we hold them in prayer, we are honoring not superiority, but servanthood. They, like John, and yes, like Jesus himself, are servant leaders. Like John insisting that his ministry is not about himself, but is about preparing the way and doing the will of God, our officers, in all humility, are called to seek and serve the will of God. And their humility does not render them weak and worthless, because in the tradition of John and Jesus, our officers are responding to God's claim upon their lives, a claim articulated in baptism. They are accepting the vocation of beloved child that God gives them. So let's here broaden the focus to all of us. In baptism, we are all ordained for the God-given vocation 
of serving Christ. Now, let me detour very briefly to address anyone here who has not yet been baptized. If you'd like to be baptized, please speak to Emma or me. And if you don't seek baptism, know that God loves you nonetheless. Sort of like a wedding is not the start of a couple's love, but is a public affirmation of that love. Baptism is not the start of God's love for us, but is a public affirmation of that love. Not everyone is baptized, but right now baptism is what we're talking about, so I'll get back to that. In baptism, each of us, like Jesus, is named as God's beloved child. The water seals that identity upon us. And then we grow into that identity. The four Gospels all explore how Jesus grew into his baptismal identity. And his story of caring for those in need is the blueprint for our own development in our own baptismal identity. Following Jesus' lead, we are called to live every day at the intersection of humility and vocation, driven by the question, I am God's baptized and beloved child. What next? In a few minutes, our new officers will answer that question as they step into their new roles. What about the rest of us? Well, next Saturday, we can feed the hungry at the ICM breakfast. A week from tomorrow, we can help Memorial Drive Ministries further their mission of hospitality and diversity. Throughout January and February, we can serve dinner at Rebecca's tent. Are any of those your next step in developing into your baptismal identity? Let's also think beyond our immediate community. Consider our upcoming mission trip to rebuild after Hurricane Michael. Or stretch with me even further to more distant devastation of the Australian wildfires. Hundreds of thousands of people displaced, scores of people dead, and at least one billion, that's billion with a B, one billion animals have perished. Standing with the Apostle Paul in believing that all creation groans as it waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God, surely our baptismal identity calls us to do our part with prayers, donations, and global wisdom. Perhaps your vocation is as an elder or as a deacon or as a baptizer, or as an usher, or a Sunday school teacher, or an activist, or a member of the fellowship committee. It's how you, in humility, prepare the way of the Lord. How you contribute to God's earthly mission of caring for those in need. That is our baptismal identity. And as all four Gospels tell us, it carries the power of the Holy Spirit and the blessing of being named beloved children of God. So Morningside, what's next? <laughs>